Hey, what's going on? It's John, and it's time for the J-Mart cast for Monday, June 6th. What's going on, friends and family? How are ya? Thank you for joining me for another week. I hope you've had a great one. Mine's been very good. Uh, first of all, it seems like allergy season is over for me. Thank God for that. I escaped way easier this year than I did last year. Anyways, <laughs> getting tangential here. Uh, why was my week so awesome? Well, first of all, I'll start with a funny story that happened with my son. He was, he's been having a little bit of a, a regression with his potty training where he's, uh, you know, getting really excited with all the activities he's doing. And so he's forgetting that he needs to go use the potty. And so he has like a few drips in his pants before he realizes and then it's a bit late. We still get to the bathroom and get some of it but you know there's a bit of a mess to clean up and so I was changing his pants after we were we were done cleaning up everything and we were going to put new underwear and shorts on and he was uh he just made this funny comment that just made me burst out laughing he goes there's a snake in my pants <laughs> so funny I couldn't help but laugh for a good couple minutes out loud anyways what else did I do this week on Wednesday, that was the most interesting thing I did is on Wednesday, I went to this like event, basically. What kind of event was it, J-Mart? Well, it was an event organized by ShakePay for its employees in order to educate them more about Bitcoin. Every company does this, I believe, like every now and then they'll basically have an event for the employees where they try to indoctrinate them I guess you almost you could say like I had this happen when I used to work at Bayer the pharmaceutical company that um, makes aspirin Uh, they now currently um, own Monsanto as part of their chemical division Uh, but I didn't used to have that when I used to work there Uh, I used to work in their uh, veterinary department for all like the medicines that they would sell for like ticks and things like that uh, for like pets for dogs and cats And then the funny thing was that a lot of the ingredients that they used for those, uh, for those products they sold, uh, they were actually similar to the agrochemical products they they were using that a lot of, uh, farmers were accusing them of, uh, like killing bees. They were saying that these chemicals, uh, that Bayer was selling were actually very, uh, harmful to bee colonies they were causing bee colony collapse and so what bear was doing was they were having these employee events where they were trying to show their research about how it was actually not their chemicals that they were causing the bee colony collapse and it was like something else they were just saying that like whatever i can't remember exactly what they were saying but basically trying to put the blame on something else and be like we're not we're the good guys we're not we're not causing bee to die so every company does this (laughs) you know uh i guess shake pay does it as well so for those who don't know what shake pay is a bitcoin exchange company and in my opinion they're actually one of the best ones that canada like that as canadians we have the option to use i've used like a bunch of them and at this point like i've come to realize that shake pay is the best one just because of like how they keep the the fees low and just the user interface is super simple, which is really nice. And they don't offer um, a lot of shit coins or scam coins or just the other stuff that everybody, everybody gets into when they're like, get into Bitcoin. They're like, Oh, you can also get Ethereum is the main other one. So they do offer Ethereum, uh, which is like um, when you actually talk to, I actually got a chance to talk to the CEO of this company and he was, he was talking about how, you know, they, they as a company believe in Bitcoin as the, future of the world and at 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 the early stage of the company they uh maybe actually i'm making this part up um so i don't know for sure what the early stage of the company was but at the let's just say at some point they decided they made the decision to list ethereum as part of their exchange and now it's at the point where it's a sunk cost and it would take a lot more to delist it and it's a lot easier for them to just keep it going. So while they're, you know, so I think like I don't really put any moral judgment on them for like keeping it. If there's a market for it then and people can buy and sell it, then they should have the option and they have the technology to facilitate people to do that. Then, um, you know, all the power to them and just great that they're not offering too many or, or any more of the other 
crappy, you know, cryptocurrencies that are out there that are all just like scam, scam jobs, basically. So anyways, I got into a tangent there. (laughs) I got to go to this event because a friend of mine invited me to go. And who is this friend, J-Mart? Who do you know that go can go to these ShakePay events? Do you know someone who works at ShakePay? Actually, no. I know somebody else who's just friends with people who work at ShakePay. And interestingly enough, these people who wanted to like organize this event for their employees to, uh, you know, help them understand Bitcoin better. They also wanted to invite some regular people who are users of ShakePay in, ad- in addition as well, because <clears throat> why not? Education is good for everybody, right? And so they had invited this uh, guy who had a plus one and he invited me because basically how I know this guy is we both met in Miami earlier this year for the Bitcoin conference. So I'm not going to reveal his name, but he, he does have a pseudonym. So by the way, short for pseudonym is Nim. So his Nim is platelicker <laughs> underscore 21 million. <laughs> it's a pretty hilarious name if you ask me, platelicker. Uh, and the reason why he um, calls himself platelicker, his pseudonym is platelicker, is because licking food off a plate is an example of a plebeian act. Well, Jmart, what is a plebeian? Or put another way, what is a pleb? An example of a plebeian is a member of the ancient Roman lower class. A plebeian is defined as relating to the common people or lacking in manners. (laughs) It's a funny definition. I definitely used to lick my, I still lick my plate all the time. Like, (laughs) it's funny. It was like a thing my parents told me to do. They said that if you licked your plate then you and you cleaned it, then you'd have a pretty wife. So I was like, yeah, it sounds good to me. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> I'm going to lick my plate. <laughs> Anyways, so why does why does he want to associate himself to a, a, be a pleb? Well, because this is part, it's a kind of a funny part of Bitcoin culture is regular people who use Bitcoin, who, um, you know, believe in it that they think that it could be a future reserve currency of the world and that it's actually good for regular people not just rich people they call themselves plebs because they're just like common people right so the essence of a bitcoin pleb is essentially just a regular person like anybody else but instead of saving their money in fiat they save their money in bitcoin by buying bitcoin and stacking satoshis so anyway plate liquors a bitcoin pleb i'm a bitcoin pleb we're all plebs in some way i'm if you think about it, I guess, right? Anyway, my buddy, my Bitcoin pleb buddy, Bit- Plate Liquor, 21 million, invited me to go to the ShakePay event. And it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. There's some speakers. They were great. There was a panel discussion. Uh, in the panel, there's a couple of interesting people. There's uh, one guy was who I didn't know this guy was a Bitcoiner, but a sports reporter named Chris Johnston. Like, I don't watch uh, sports very much anymore but when i used to this guy was a reporter on sportsnet and tsn that i used to see all the time he covers the leafs and he gave his little story about how basically during the pandemic he you know sports stopped and he finally had some free time and was looking around and seeing kind of things that didn't make sense and started to learn a little bit about the economy and what's going on and arrived at bitcoin and was like He's, he, he got to a holy shit moment and was uh, kind of just beside himself at what he was learning and made a huge uh, impact on his life, he said. Um, he, he said he's like gone deep down the rabbit hole. He's, he's all in on Bitcoin. And it's interesting that he was, he was saying how he was trying to share this on his platform because he's got a big Twitter profile of being a sports reporter and everything. And it was, he was getting a lot of pushback for it. So he's been a lot more quiet about it. But he's still, even though he's gotten this strong pushback, he hasn't let it like change his conviction in any way. And so it was interesting to have him sit there on the panel in front of us and tell us the story. It was, it was great. The other, uh, one of the other two panelists was uh, this guy named Ali who is the him and his brother maybe I'm not sure exactly but he's the main guy who owns this um, uh, Middle Eastern uh, chain of restaurants now called uh, Tahini's originally it was just one restaurant that he had uh, and right before the pandemic he felt like he was going to lose his business because of what was going on obviously as you might have heard a lot of small businesses closed down and never opened back up due to the response 
to the pandemic, not due to the pandemic, due to the response to the pandemic. Sorry to stress that <laughs> and be annoying like that. But anyway, uh, so this guy saw what was going on and he invested whatever cash savings that the, his business had into Bitcoin right before the price of it shot up like crazy. <laughs> and so because he was able to increase the balance sheet of his company by a significant amount and also through the marketing of like two Bitcoin plebs to kind of showcase what he's done, he's actually been able to save his business and not only that, but open like several other um chains i think it's like close to 10 if not more other restaurants all in the gta or sorry uh just southern ontario i think they got a bunch of locations in like uh, london too and whatnot but anyway so yeah this guy was part of the panel discussion as well and he was telling us about how he you know came from egypt and he act was he was actually there during the uh arab spring when there was a revolution and then soon after the arab spring um, there was a huge amount of inflation that happened there where like the value of their currency lost like 65% of its value in comparison to the U S dollar. And, you know, things went crazy over there. Luckily for them, him and his brother, I believe had already left Egypt when this happened. But of course they would have seen the effects of it on all their friends and family and understood the value of having hard money and this is what's really key right it's just having these uh, key formative experiences that have a big impact on your worldview and the frame through which or the lens through which you view the world and so he had that and he was able to more quickly and easily find and understand bitcoin and benefit from doing so then the last guy they had on the panel was this really jacked dude. And then when they introduced him, they said he was like uh, uh, one of the founders of this real estate investing company called Rockstar Real Estate. Apparently, he and, him and his brother started this. And he had a similar story to Ali where he, they, him and his brother saw the effects of inflation. Uh, they surprisingly were Canadians and they saw the effects of inflation on their father's uh, money that he had saved because they had the story about how their father would have money that he saved but never invested in anything and because he never made any investments in any um, stocks or or real estate or anything like that the money that he'd saved had lost a lot of its purchasing power and you know their father needed a lot of rescuing luckily him and his brother were able to step up and learn from the mistakes and you know start this real estate investing company and you know learn from that experience about investing in hard assets but then over time they uh through education learned about all the uh, crazy money printing that happens with central banks and realized that there got, has, needs to be another um, way to solve this issue, uh, problem uh, you know, real estate was their first answer and they worked for a little while, but now they, he was talking about how they've found Bitcoin and they see that potentially like this could actually down the road have a big impact in demonetizing houses, which if you think about it would actually be really great because then it could bring the prices of housing down and make it more affordable for regular people. And that would actually probably help solve a lot of like homelessness issues, which is you know, a lot of that's going on all over the world, especially like United States. I, I've seen pictures of like major cities having like these tent cities of homeless people. I know it's happening in Vancouver and Canada of all places. And Vancouver is like the worst place. It's happening in Toronto and a few places as well. But anyway, I'm getting too tangential again. But it was a great event. And actually, speaking of that Jack guy, he was he was a super nice guy. After the event, we went uh, out for some drinks with a bunch of people. He came and he was nice to talk to. And then uh, he left a little early. And without saying anything, he kind of paid everyone's tab up until that point and left. And then we found out later that he had paid for everything, which was awesome. Super nice guy. Bitcoiners in general, I've found are very generous people uh, when it comes to money, uh, which, is, which is amazing. It's it's nice to hang out with people like that, of course. It's great to be around generous people, right? Who doesn't like to be around generous people? <laughs> Anyways, back to my story. So the event was great. Met really nice people. 
hung out with Plate Liquor for a little bit, and then I decided that I'd ask him to do a podcast episode with me where we talk about Bitcoin a little bit. And I thought I would just kind of ask him to share his story about how he found Bitcoin, and then that would be a great thing to share for you guys, my awesome listeners, my lovely friends and family. So I hope you like it. I think it went well. We had a nice 40, 45 minute conversation and his story is very similar to mine and very similar to many others I've heard. And it might at some point be very similar to yours when by listening to this, you at some point decide that uh, you want to look further into Bitcoin for yourself and learn all the things I've been learning for the last two plus years. So without further ado, here is my conversation with plate liquor underscore 21 million. All right, everybody. I have a special guest today for today's episode. We have the infamous plate liquor from Twitter fame, plate liquor 21 million <laughs> from Twitter fame from calling out uh, Mike Novogratz and his stupid tattoo. <laughs> Welcome to the show, plate liquor. How's it going? Good to, uh, Good to be here. Uh, it's great to have you on. You're, let's just go quickly go over how you and I met. Uh, we just uh, met over Twitter, but also because we were both going to the Bitcoin conference this last um, year in Miami. And we just met up there and hung out for a day. Was it a day and a half or so, basically? And had a good time. Kind of feel like we uh, like were like very like easy to get along with one another. and we've uh, basically kept in touch since yeah yeah yeah. It was, it was pretty cool basically i think the the, the big coincidence was that we were both going to miami pretty much by ourselves right like my wife was there but she wasn't going to the conference so uh we kind of had to make uh make friends so that we could not be awkwardly alone the whole time so, <laughs> yeah. so it, was, it was good yeah we rescued <laughs> each other yeah yes thank you <laughs> yeah and that's exactly kind of um why I wanted to have uh, you on the podcast and just more people in general that I meet like this is just to show my friends and family, the few people that do listen to this podcast, that there's a lot of regular people who are involved in Bitcoin and they have like pretty interesting backgrounds and stories. So I'd like to share that and just kind of to show and uh, showcase that it's not just like tech nerds or really like fringe people involved in Bitcoin, but a lot of just like regular people that are looking for some answers to some really serious questions. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the way I wanted to start off this podcast is I kind of told you this already a little bit off camera was that I kind of wanted to ask for your background, because I think that's a good segue for leading people into like into Bitcoin and knowing someone's background can help understand why, what angle you're coming to Bitcoin from and uh, your understanding of it and why you think it might be valuable. So can you just tell us like, where were you born? Um, what was your childhood like? And very briefly, and then also uh, like, where did you go to school and what did you study? Sure. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm Durham region. Ontario, right? So just a little bit uh, east east of you, and probably uh, mm-hmm. some of your family and everything like that. Yep. Um, a little bit of background, um, I'd say the stuff that's relevant, at least to uh, to how I got into Bitcoin, um, started with just being interested in money and uh, and investing, which is uh, right after I moved out away from my parents when I was nineteen. I kind of figured, and at the time, uh, a little sidebar, I, uh, my career choice at that time, I was going to be a rock star at that point, playing guitar and in a band and stuff like that. But I was, I had the, I had the smarts to me at least to know like, well, that's probably going to fail. So I better at least have a good retirement plan in place. Um, so I was reading a lot about investing in real estate at that time, which led to reading about, uh, investing in stocks and, and different things like that. Um, and then actually on accident, I ended up getting a book called, uh, free to choose, uh, which is by Milton Friedman, uh, which is, he's an economist and that really laid out. uh, Yeah. Well-known economist. Yeah. I think, I think for that book, he won like a Nobel prize or something. Wow. Um, but, uh, I was thinking that it was a a book about picking stocks. (laughs) I had bought it on accident, but I ended up reading the whole thing anyways. And really what he does is he goes through every aspect and kind of lays out the case that 
maybe government isn't needed, right? And maybe things could be uh, a lot better if people were just left to their own devices and didn't have kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Big Brother kind of controlling the way we do everything. Um, and then that was my family had never talked about politics at all in my life. So that was my first time really thinking about anything like that. Wow. Okay. So um, very libertarian view, viewpoint from Milton Friedman. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I think I really related to that for, for a long time and um, got involved with kind of a uh, local conservative party in my area, which I've since rejected. Um, but uh, for a, it was a big thing for a while. Yeah. Um, so I first heard about Bitcoin in, uh, I think, probably about 2013. Um, and that was, uh, I read on a little pamphlet that I found on, on the, uh, the Go train about Mount, Mount, Mount Gox. Um, and uh, I don't think it was, it was before it would have uh, gotten, well, it even happened there and got hacked or arrested or something like that. Yeah. So for um, people who don't know, Mount Gox was the first exchange that exchanged money for Bitcoin on the internet. It was the first, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And it was actually for, uh, that's first and only actually. Yeah. It stands for, uh, for magic, the magic, the game, the gathering. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a card game, but then they also used Bitcoin and sold all this other stuff. So it's very interesting actually. Um, but I found out about it then and, uh, around that time I had a friend saying like, Hey, like let's mine some Bitcoin and stuff like that. But to me, it was like, no, no, I've read about like real estate investing and like safe, secure stocks this is way too risky i'm not doing that um and then that disappeared for a for a long time i never thought about bitcoin again um i became a uh, financial advisor in 2015 um and then so i never heard anything about bitcoin until 2017 2018 and that was when my company put out basically a statement saying like if your clients are asking you about bitcoin or about any cryptocurrencies or anything like that uh, these are kind of your talking points, basically. Uh-huh. And it was, uh-huh. okay, there's no real, uh, there's no dividends, there's no board of directors, there's nothing to uh, to back it, basically. And it's kind mm-hmm. of uh, too risky, right? Right. Um, and so I thought, okay, and I repeated those to my clients, whatever. So definitely uh, designed to steer people clear of Bitcoin. For sure, yeah, because of course it's not a product that we offered, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then I only actually got curious about Bitcoin uh, again was in uh, October of 2020. Yeah. Um, and that was actually because it's the pandemic. I'm sitting at home, I have nothing to do. Um, so I got uh, Wealth Simple, the, the like trade app where you can buy stocks. And my plan was just to play around and buy stocks and some ETFs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a crypto platform yep. and I said, okay, well, I might as well try it out just for fun. And then I put like, I think a hundred dollars into Bitcoin and a hundred dollars into uh, uh scam Ethereum or Ethereum. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We all shake coin at one point. That's okay. Uh, luckily it was very short lived for me. Only, only like about three months I owned Ethereum. <laughs> um, but uh, basically right from the day I put, money into bitcoin it started to go up in value so right uh-huh. away i'm getting all excited right this goes up so much faster than any stocks i ever own and stuff like that uh-huh. um so then i thought like okay maybe there is something to this maybe it's not just like a, a scam or a ponzi mm-hmm. um so then i started researching and uh a lot at that time it was a lot of just like youtube and i didn't know anybody so kind of figuring things out through youtube and, and twitter and sifting mm-hmm. my way through okay these guys are scammers. These guys mm-hmm. are legit, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. kind of being able to distinguish the two. So what are the critical um, thinking skills that you when, use to distinguish that? Like, how did you decide, how could you say like, what, what, do you know what I mean? Like there's two people could look at two things and be like, disagree, which one's the real thing and which one's the scam. What, what, what were the skills that you used to be able to tell? Um, I'd say it was kind of like, it was three months, but, but there's nothing right off the bat that, that made it obvious. Uh, funny kind of anecdote, because uh, you, you obviously judge people by how they look and how they present themselves and their different um, gimmicks and stuff like that. So I remember for a while thinking that uh, BTC sessions, I was like, this guy's got to be 
a scammer or something. <laughs> for some reason, that like blonde streak made me think like, okay, this guy's not legit. But now I now I know him a lot better, and he's obviously done amazing things for Bitcoin. He's an amazing guy overall. Paid for my ticket to Miami, actually. Yeah. Um, for those people who don't know, he has a very helpful YouTube page with amazing walkthroughs and guides on how to use uh, like Bitcoin wallets, uh, how to run nodes, and all these somewhat technical things that you can get into as you start to learn more and more about Bitcoin. And you, you also mentioned that he was generous enough to offer to pay for your uh, ticket to the, to the conference in Miami, which is amazing. What a generous dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really awesome. Um, but yeah, so, so it's kind, kind of tough. I don't remember exactly like what my, my thought process was in distinguishing mm-hmm. who was a scammer and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I started to really relate because of my libertarian background to a lot of Bitcoiners and all of these Bitcoiners were really pressing the fact that, okay, it's Bitcoin only. Um, everything else is kind of uh, a waste of time. And, and even a, a, as far as saying it's a scam too. Yeah. I've, um, gone, I've gone towards calling shitcoin scam coins because I feel like it does a better job of encapsulating what you're really dealing with. Cause uh, some, I feel like shitcoin doesn't push people away from it enough as opposed to calling it a scam coin. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's so tough to even explain to people. It's it's tough when like when your friends and family who aren't into Bitcoin ask questions about this stuff because it's like, okay, let me lay two hours of foundational knowledge and then I'll explain why it's a scam coin. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it is tough. Yeah. Um I use them interchangeably pretty much. Nice. Uh, but uh eventually I'm a big reader, so I was asking kind of like, okay, hey, what should I be reading? And everyone mm-hmm. obviously said the Bitcoin standard. Um, nice. yeah. the Bitcoin standard actually reminded me a lot of that book by Milton Friedman because, um, mm-hmm. just kind of just very freedom minded and saying that, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the government doesn't really have the wherewithal or the, or the tools to actually make an ideal life for us. Yeah. The author's um, name is Sefadin Amos. He's a well, like spoken libertarian kind of individual. So it doesn't surprise me that that book would be very similar to Milton Friedman's. Yeah, and he's very like famous in the in the Bitcoin world too. Um, and like we said right before we pressed record here, uh, I was I was very excited that I got a picture with him in Miami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, uh, where was I going with that? Uh, Milton Friedman. Oh yeah, so, so, I, so I read the reading. Yeah. yeah, so I read the Bitcoin Standard uh, actually over the four days in the hospital when my daughter was being born just in like the spare time. That's when I read the Bitcoin (laughs) standard. So that was right around uh, like mid February of 2021. So that's when I really, okay, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. Now I'm selling Mm -hmm. Ethereum Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and really realizing that, okay, this, this has, this is more than just about making money. This is, this is really has, Mm -hmm profound implications of what the world can be and what uh how we can mm-hmm. take control of our own lives right and so with with that specifically you're speaking to the like the qualities of bitcoin that make it censorship resistant that make it open and permission permissionless is that what you're talking about specifically um y- yes uh censors- censorship resistant and basically the government can't take it from you they can't yes. confiscate it from you mm-hmm. um and then also the fact that they can't print more of it to fund mm-hmm. uh spending and and all mm-hmm. the different programs that you either do or don't agree with mm-hmm. um and so that to me really clicked it's and because i always used to wonder because i was i had this kind of libertarian frame of mind and i would look at the, what the government's doing and think, okay, how can they be spending this money? Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're spending it endlessly. Mm-hmm. And taxes aren't tax rates aren't really going up. Like we have, like I've been a financial advisor for seven years, and like the tax rates really haven't changed much at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, like, I kept on wondering, like, how can this even be working and not blowing up? So uh, safety in that in that book, the Bitcoin Standard, helped me realize, like, oh, it's because they're just inflating the currency so they can get their money that way. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a sly roundabout way of taxing us that yeah. uh, we don't know about. And then you're finding out, okay, well, my house has increased in value by like double in a year. Where's that money coming from? And when you realize it's coming from the minimum wage earners, right? Because minimum wage went up $1 in 
right? And so it's them the one paying for these things because their rent is now double and their uh, grocery store trip is now 60% higher and, and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really when it kind of all clicked and it's like, okay, this is Bitcoin and, and the fact that the currency has been being debased for, for years and years. Mm-hmm. Now my view of the world is mm-hmm. finally coming together and making sense. So it was like, it mm-hmm. made so much sense to me before Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but Bitcoin was the missing piece to say, okay, yes, now the world completely makes sense. Right. Um, I got a little confused there about what you were good. saying, yeah. actually. Sorry to cut okay, you off. Sorry. I, I just okay. got a little confused when you were saying, um, like, where's the money coming from for your for the price of your house doubling? And then you said it's coming from the people who are not earning uh, a lot of money. It's just I'm, I'm struggling to make the connection there. Why is it that the people who are making very the lowest of incomes are are the reason behind the price of housing doubling? Sorry, could you clear up the connection there? Um, so I guess what I meant by that was house prices uh, really went up a lot, especially since COVID, but even before, right? People thought housing was a crazy bubble in 2017 as well. Um, and that happens because interest rates are artificially low, right? The yeah. government through yield curve control um, keeps rates way lower than the free market would ever have them. And what that does is that encourages people to borrow more which drives price of housing up, right? Because people get their their, their mortgage pre-approval and they say, okay, you can afford a $600,000 house. Mm-hmm. So now they go out into the marketplace prepared to spend 600,000. Whereas if they were approved for 300,000, they would go out into the marketplace prepared to spend 300,000. So mm-hmm. uh, between that and uh, just um, our regulations in Canada and most of the world, mm-hmm. um, you can get big loans relative to your income. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a way of, of essentially printing money, right? Because mm-hmm. the bank does not actually have the money that mm-hmm. they're lending out, right? They, yeah. they, I think right now the rule is like they have to have $1 in their reserves for every $10 that they lend out. I think it's even right. more than that. It's like for every hundred. <laughs> All right, I think yeah. it actually just changed recently. Oh, okay. um, kind of as rates are going up. I don't, I don't, okay. uh, don't don't hold me to that, but uh, the, the numbers change, and and that's one of the ways that uh, the Bank of Canada can kind of control mm-hmm. our lives is by just changing these rules arbitrarily based on what mm-hmm. they think is good. Um, but to wrap that up, how that mm-hmm. uh, comes at the end of the day from um, poor people, I, I didn't mean to say that it comes exclusively for that from them. What I mean, meant to say is that they're impacted the yeah. most. Okay. I get that. They're disproportionately affected by that than anybody else because the fact that like uh, whatever the amount of money that they spend on everyday things is a large portion of their paycheck and now it's getting even bigger as opposed to those who are well off where those everyday items are a small portion of their uh you know, everyday spending. And so that's less affected. And then the well-to-do people are also the ones with hard assets and are the ones that are benefiting from the asset inflation. Whereas the poor people who don't have those assets to begin with are further back from those assets because they're getting more expensive while they're unable to afford them because of higher everyday spending on basic day-to-day things. Did I get that? Is there anything I missed? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, no. Um, but what I think is kind of important for people to know as well is that, um, people who own their homes or own Bitcoin or different things like that, they see these huge uh, increases in value of their assets. Um, and what that does is that makes them feel wealthier. So it's okay. My house went up by 300,000 this year. Um, I'm going to splurge. I made a good investment decision. I'm going to splurge and buy a new car. Um, or, or just even I'm going to eat out more often or things like that. And that drives prices on those items up as well. Um, which then the poor people who are on their wage, who are, who don't own any hard assets, um, they didn't benefit, but they're still getting the negative side of paying the increased prices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those consumer goods are increasing as well as the, uh, as well as the, uh, actual assets themselves. And then, yeah. Mm, yeah. 
All right. And then, all right. So that's a pretty good background. I feel like that took us all the way to, to now. Yeah. I, and I love that story of like hearing about it a couple of times and disregarding it. And then finally getting to it at this point of pain. I recently, uh, uh, uh Gigi on, on Twitter, who I'm sure you've, you've, you've heard of, and, and you know, of, uh, his recent quote, quote uh, tweet was, uh, either from curiosity or pain. Those are the two avenues that you discover Bitcoin, curiosity or pain. So for you, it was pain. It was pandemic 2020. You're seeing all this money printing. You're like, what the hell is going on? This is affecting me. You feel the pain and then you learn and then you're like, okay, I found, I found Bitcoin. As yeah, same story with me and same story from a lot of people I've talked to is they hear about Bitcoin multiple times and just it doesn't click, it doesn't click, and then there's some sort of pain point, and then finally it's like yes, now I now I I'm I'm I, I have to get it because I, I the pain of like the thing that I'm facing on the other side is too much that I have to turn towards Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of beautiful actually, just the the way you put that, um, and it, it seems to be like everybody hears about it a couple times before mm-hmm. they actually give it a chance to. So it's like. That's why I try and bring it up to people as much as I can. So they hear about it a lot of times and we'll get it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a challenge, right? Because then you can be a little bit too pushy and then drive people away from it as well. As well. So how, how do you drive a balance? Is there any anything you've learned in the last uh, year and a half, two years? Um, yeah, actually, because I have uh, driven people away from it as well. Uh, I did that first, and now I'm kind of learning more to uh, to kind of stay a little bit quiet about it um, mm-hmm. where I can, mm-hmm. but allow kind of interesting tidbits to come through as well. So, uh, as you know, like with the with the meetups and stuff, mm-hmm. um, I've started to to kind of get more more followers on. Twitter and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people hear like my friends and, and family and stuff like that here, like, Oh, th- there's a meetup in Whippy and the booze is going to be free and the food is going to be free and you organized it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they're kind of a little curious, like, Hey, maybe yeah, I will yeah. come and check that out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so it's kind of gets people a little interested enough. And then it's almost like you want to be a little mysterious about it. Wait for them yeah. to ask. And then when they do ask, it's like, oh, I, I couldn't tell you right now. We're drinking. I need more of your time to, because then it's like even more <laughs> driving that mystery. So I, that's been more successful lately. To, that, that, uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's how it's got to be. Right. Because it's, it's so easy to just, you found this thing that like means so much to you. It's making a big impact in your life and uh, you feel like, uh, you're improving and you're getting better and you want to share this with everybody, right? Cause it's had a, such a good impact on you. It's like, well, if I just share it with everybody else, everybody else will see, have the same transformation and then we'll all be like, whatever, reaching some higher state together. Wouldn't that be great? But it's, that's not how it works. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Not that easy. Yeah. No, no, it, it isn't. But uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. You, you have to be a little mysterious. You have to, um, and the other thing is, it's just, it takes so much time to understand Bitcoin. It takes hours and hours and hours. Like you could sit down and have like, like a six hour, eight hour conversation with somebody. And that would just be the start of it. Like that wouldn't even be like 10%, like, <laughs> because it covers so many different topics. You have to learn about economics. You have to learn about money. You have to learn about com- like cryptography and computers and like all this stuff that normal people probably don't it's not related to their careers or the things that they're good at. So now there's like this huge obstacle of having to learn these things that are outside of your comfort zone. And so is there anything, any tips with that? Like teaching people like about subjects that are way outside of their like area of expertise. Yeah. um, Because you're, the way I like to think about it is that your goal is not to have them understand Bitcoin and become full-time Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, your goal is to just get them intrigued enough to buy a little bit mm-hmm. because then they'll find their own reasons to, yes. uh, to, to get into it more. So 
um, like I said, kind of being a little mysterious about it. And then uh, what I like to do is maybe send like a follow-up message after. So, okay, we were drinking last night. Hey, if you actually did want to know, know more about it, basically Bitcoin is, and then I would say like one or two things that you think they'll relate to, mm-hmm. right? So me, I'm a libertarian. I hate the mm-hmm. government, um, <laughs> but my uh, wife's siblings, um, they're, they're fairly, they're, they're progressives. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell them about how like, oh, the government's printing money and the government ruins everything because they just won't relate to that at all. Mm-hmm. But I do say, you know what? Uh, in Afghanistan, women aren't allowed to open a bank account, right? Mm-hmm. So this is helping women to actually work and leave their husbands, save up and leave their husbands if they need to, if he's being abusive or things mm-hmm. like that. Or, mm-hmm. or um, you know, in El Salvador, uh, a lot of people, the only reason they have any money at all is because they have family members who moved to Canada, the U S and send money back every month. Western union is taking it. Yeah. Remittances. Yeah. And Western union is taking a 10% fee. Bitcoin removes that fee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Amazing. So different things like that, that you kind of think based on knowing the person, what's going to relate to them, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of different benefits to Bitcoin and uh, some people relate to all of it. Some people relate to only some, some parts. So I just focus on try to focus on those parts. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. You have to customize everything. This is uh, as a personal trainer, I customize my training programs to my clients based on their needs and goals. And you got to customize how you approach teaching somebody about Bitcoin based on their background and the things they can relate to. I love that. And I also love the fact that you're saying just convince them enough to buy just a little bit and get, get invested because once they're invested financially, then they'll have a reason to actually learn more about it. And then they're going to be checking the price all the time. They're going to be like, just once money's involved, you're, you want to know more about something. If you don't have any money invested, then why would you look it up? Right. That's great. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think even if we think about like at the end game, where Bitcoin is eventually going, um, becoming the the single currency of the world. Um, Global. Like everybody's going, yeah. Yeah. It's not like everybody's going to know everything about it at that time either. Right. There'll still be mm-hmm. people who don't care really about the inner workings of money and the economy. Of course, um, but they'll still be using it every day. So mm-hmm. some people you don't really have to, they don't have to get that much into it. You just have to kind of get them on a, a savings mm-hmm. plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the car is the most common way that people travel from place to place, but no, mo- most people don't know how it actually works and how to like be a mechanic and fix it. And if it, if something goes wrong, right. That's uh, mm-hmm. kind of the same analogy, I guess, to what you're, what you're talking about. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we're going to, finish off pretty soon here. I don't want to keep you on for too long. I just want to finish maybe uh, getting a little bit technical. Let's talk about like Bitcoin storage, because this is like going off of like just getting people invested a little bit. Then it's like, okay, well, they're invested. Most people just buy money, or sorry, buy Bitcoin from an exchange and then just leave their Bitcoin on the exchange. And of course, you and I would probably agree in saying that that's a really poor practice. Uh, would you say that it's true? <laughs> I would, um, but it also depends who you're talking to, and okay. it depends I how like much, how much, how much really that they have in in Bitcoin, right? Because if if it's going to be someone who you just introduced to Bitcoin and they put a hundred dollars in, um, I'm not sure if it's time to start adding more layers of complexity and saying like, okay, well, technically this exchange could get hacked, could go bankrupt, could. Mm-hmm. Could uh, the the founder could run away with your money and stuff because that's all that's doing is is adding uh, more layers of illegitimacy for mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if it's something small like that, just kind of leave it where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're getting further into it, um, then I think it's could could be time to to have a conversation of okay, why don't you take it into your own custody with maybe a hot wallet like uh, like Blue Wallet or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and then if they're really kind of getting into it and, um, and, and have the technical capacity, if you're talking to your grandmother, I'm not sure if it's wise that she takes care of her own keys and, and has a, uh, a, a ledger or a cold card sitting around. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. So I think for some people, it's actually safer to hold a, hold a, in, in on an exchange or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, or to do a, um, uh, like a like a mix of both, right? Um, maybe put some 
on a wallet, but knowing that you're pretty forgetful and uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> disorganized person that you might lose that wallet. Right. Um, so I kind of just keep that stuff in mind as well. Like, like for example, I don't let my dad hold his own keys because okay. uh, he gets a new cell phone like every three months because he loses it or, okay. or uh, breaks it. So he's not holding his own keys uh, like I am, right? Uh, and then some people, I don't want to take that risk because I don't want them to hate me if something happens to me yes. holding your keys. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. Wow, okay. I, I didn't think of it to that level of complexity, but you're right. There's there's so much to, to consider. Uh, so yeah, like so when you first buy Bitcoin from an exchange, it's on your exchange wallet. And then that is a liability uh, to the exchange or yeah. So basically the exchange really has control of that and they, you just have an IOU. Um, so you, if you're comfortable with that, I guess, or you're, if you're uncomfortable with holding it yourself, I guess maybe the first step would be to just hold a little bit yourself, transfer just a small amount from what you have on an exchange wallet to a wallet that's under your own custody and just to see how well that goes, I guess, for a little while. And then if, if after, let's say three months, you haven't lost your keys and you haven't, uh, you know, lost the Bitcoin, then I guess it might be, you might consider that to be safe to move on to, um, to have the rest of it removed from the exchange, I guess. But ultimately you do want to move towards removing it from the exchange. You, I guess you would agree with, with that. For sure. Especially if you're, if you're a, if you're a Bitcoiner and th- because kind of leaving it on the exchange um, kind of goes against the whole movement of letting someone else control your money now, right? Because who's to mm-hmm. say that they actually have that Bitcoin for you. And it's not that they just took your money and they just put a picture of an amount of Bitcoin onto your phone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So I think if you're a true Bitcoiner, you're not leaving one sat on, on an exchange. Yeah, exactly. And then, as you spent more time learning about Bitcoin and then also potentially over time increasing your stack, uh, then the, I guess, the thinking about Bitcoin storage becomes more sophisticated, becomes more complex. And so you move on from, let's say, the exchange wallet to your, a wallet under your own custody, custody that's maybe a mobile wallet. And then the next step would be moving towards a hardware wallet where you have a hardware device that's specifically for uh, Bitcoin only and nothing else. Um, So I've finally made that move. And uh, maybe like, could you describe to us what, like, do you, have you done that actually? Let's start with that. Do you have a hardware? You don't don't have to answer that actually. (laughs) That's a bit of a personal question, I guess. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Uh, because good luck stealing it from me. That's I, uh, I'm very confident in my uh, my ability to store store my my keys uh, safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. I uh, I think for my birthday last year or something. I got uh, I got my first hardware wallet or for some. I think my wife bought it for me. But uh, nice. um, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very nervous doing it at first because I was like, oh, I'm bad with technology. I'm going to mess it up. So I just started with a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and now like moving Bitcoin over to to cold storage or to hardware wallet. Um, so I don't even have to think anymore. I just do it yeah. and it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that it's confirmed and then I forget about it and go on with my day. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Just like anything, right? First time you do it, it's scary and you're worried about messing it up. And I guess I guess the stakes are high here, right? Because if you mess it up, there's no coming back. There's no like uh, help number you can call to get your Bitcoin back. So it's good to be a little bit nervous because then it'll make you actually be vigilant and not making a mistake. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, once you get a hold of it, it's not, it's not that complicated. And then it actually becomes quite easy. And you're like, I wish everything was this easy. You just scan a QR code <laughs> and you're good to go. Yeah, it's kind of uh, not not to expand too much on that, uh, but kind of like the ethos of of Bitcoin is okay. If you're taking, if you want the responsibility to be out of the hands of government to keep your funds safe, or out of the hands of banks to keep your funds safe, that means it's got to be in your hands. You're the only mm-hmm. one left, right? So you have to. Bitcoin itself is completely secure, but it's it's uh, prone to user error. Right. Exactly. If, you, if you're not storing your keys properly, or if you send it improperly, send it to the wrong place, um, that's the personal responsibility you have to take. Um, so it's kind of scary, but empowering at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's the, it's um, it, 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 back to what I always say is rights and responsibilities. If you have a right to something, you also have to have a responsibility for that right. Yeah. If you have a right to censorship, like resistant, open and permissionless money that's not going to be inflated by the government, then you have the responsibility to like take care of that and make sure you you hold it correctly and in the way that you're not going to mess it up. It's just as simple mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. Well put. Yeah, I agree. All right. That's a good way to, to end this one, man. Thank you so much for like giving me your time. For telling me your story, sharing it with my friends and family who listen to this. I'm sure they'll appreciate like hearing a story like this because it's it's so relatable. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It's fun. I love talking about Bitcoin. Happy yeah, to uh, too, man. do something like this anytime. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Plate Liquor. We'll talk to you soon. And maybe before we go, we could tell just do a quick announcement about the June 16, July 16th. Uh, yeah, so July 16th, um, location TBD, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be in Toronto, likely somewhere off the 401, um, but it's going to be a big Bitcoin meetup. Um, we'll likely have sponsors again, so they'll probably be, uh, no promises, but probably free alcohol, probably free food and stuff like that. Um, and it's kind of an opportunity to come hang out with Bitcoiners and have these conversations that we love having. Uh, but a good opportunity to bring friends and family who uh, aren't Bitcoiners yet or don't fully uh, see the legitimacy because they haven't uh, met the people in real life and they think it's mm-hmm. shadowy super coders. So uh, yeah, <laughs> J- July 16th, that's a Saturday. Um, just keep an eye on my my Twitter, I suppose, uh, for, mm-hmm. for more details. Great. Thank you so much, man. All right. Awesome. No problem. Signing off. Talk soon. Boom, there you have it. That's the end of the conversation with Plate Liquor. By the way, his Twitter handle is at Plate Liquor underscore the number two, the number one, then the letter M. Thank you so much for listening to the end. If you want to reach out and talk some more about Bitcoin, you can always tweet at me at jmartfit or message me on Instagram. Same thing at jmartfit. There's also the email option. Send an email to newsletter at jmartfit.com. Otherwise... Till next week, stay active, be grateful, JMart out.